There is this really interesting thing that happens when we're talking about business where it's just sort of like the most taboo thing possible to acknowledge that it's a possibility that you lose your job. It's a possibility that the company goes under. Like all of these things that are sort of different shades of death in a way in the dynamic, they're always possible, right? And we're not saying they're going to happen. We're just saying, hey, I just want to be like another person that is rational and like, you know, I'm going to acknowledge that this is true. And I think that we do ourselves such a service by bringing those things into the conversation because it becomes so much more honest. Welcome to Want to Work There, a podcast that explores what really makes a company a great place to work. I'm your host, Jill Felska, and together we'll explore not only what goes into building a great company culture, but also exactly how to implement those best practices within your own workplace. If you're here, you believe that a better world of work is possible, and I can't wait to build it together. Let's go. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the first brand new episode of the Want to Work There podcast in a little bit. A little hot minute went by. I was taking some time uh, recovering from some burnout, which I am happy to say that I have been investing in a lot of self-care, a lot of introvert time, and I'm feeling like my juices are flowing again. I'm excited to be back. I'm excited to have some of these conversations that have been building up in the background with some incredible, incredible humans. And I cannot think of a better way to get back into the swing of things than the episode that we just finished recording. It is a little bit of a different episode. I'm not talking with one guest, but two incredible guests. And it all started when I met one of them, Shira, at CultureCon, which is an annual conference held in Madison, Wisconsin. Highly recommend. This was my second year. It is a chef's kiss of a conference. But we were at a pre-conference happy hour. We hit it off. And over the course of the next few days, Shira and I became really fast friends. And at one point, we found ourselves talking about of course, work experiences. She shared that she had had several sort of negative workplace experiences in past roles, but that she had finally found a culture that she was really happy with at a company called Loop and Tie, which is where she currently is. Now, I, of course, had to push more on this because it's the purpose behind this podcast. It's the purpose behind the work that I do, really uncovering and understanding what makes somewhere a great place to work, what experience she had that set this role in this work environment apart from the others. What she shared is that she had recently had this conversation with her then boss that was completely different than anything she'd experienced in the past. Well, flash forward a few months later, I am on the phone with her former boss, Sarah, who also happens to be Loop and Ty's founder and CEO. We started talking about culture, and I could see these patterns emerging that aligned with the conversation Shira had originally shared with me. 
Ultimately, this led to me asking both of them if they'd be comfortable rehashing the conversation from their perspectives together on air. And they both said yes. So that is exactly what you're going to hear today. You're going to hear Sarah Rodell, the founder of Loop and Tie, in conversation rehashing in real time the conversation that she had with Shira Greif, who was her direct report. And it's such an incredible chance, I think, for you to peek behind the curtains of something that actually happened. This isn't a theory about what having more empathetic conversations looks like. This is a real life example and the perspectives of both of them as they were sort of going through this period together. So I really hope that you enjoy and take away some great things from this conversation. I know that I did. And without further ado, let's get into it. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Shira. I am so glad to have you both on the podcast today. Hello. (laughs) Very happy to be here. So pumped for our conversation. I could not be more excited either. I shared in the intro, we are recording a slightly different kind of episode today because I've asked both of you to actually rehash a conversation that you had while sharing both of your perspectives along the way. And luckily, you have both agreed. So (laughs) let's get right into it. Shira, this all started when you had shared with me a conversation that you'd had with Sarah, which strongly reinforced why you love working at Loop and Tie. Now, can you tell us all about the thoughts and feelings that you were having when you asked Sarah to have that touch base? Yes. And to be honest, they weren't like the warmest or fuzziest feelings. I was like in one of those moments of like total career dread where I was like spinning in my head and I was like, what am I doing in my job? What am I doing in my career? What am I doing in my life? And I don't know that it was such a planned moment of touch base. I think it was more of just a moment where like I had a plethora of things that like the world has told me I shouldn't ever say to my boss, but my boss was there in front of me. And she is always telling me that like, you know, it's an open door and that she loves ideas and ideas can come in any form from any place. And I just had this moment where like out of survival, I decided to listen to what she was telling me, which is that like it was a safe space. And I just kind of word vomited. So I wish it was like more strategic and intentional than it was, but it was actually just a moment of like, all right, I've worked for Sarah for like two years now, maybe even a little bit more at that point. She has been like telling me and showing me this like culture that she's created. And I'm just going to do what my therapist says and listen to what people say. And if she says it's a safe space, I'm going to go for it. (laughs) And so I did. And that's kind of what was happening in that moment when I approached her with this conversation. Bless the therapist. We yes. all love them so much. That's the takeaway from that. Moment, yeah. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me a little bit. So I love that you said like, these were like not fuzzy warm thoughts. These were like scary career thoughts. Tell us a little bit about what those things were that you were experiencing that you were thinking about. You know, I wish that I could even put my finger on them in a really productive way, but I think it was a little bit of like a two-year itch. I'd been at a company for two years. I'm a millennial who like hops around a lot and does a lot of things. And so just committing to anything for a long time, you start to have these feelings of like, what am I doing here? What am I building? And I'm also someone who's like very purpose-driven on a personal note. So it's not just like, am I doing good work? Is the company doing good work? It's like, do I feel good about the work I'm doing? So I think, you know, not even just because of work, just because of the state of the world and the state of life and the state of my millennial self, just started to like have some of these conversations about like dread with myself and like, what do I want to be doing? And how do I optimize everything I'm doing? And work was something that for me became like going through the motions 
One of the reasons that I joined Loop and Tie, I was so excited about it. It's such a mission-driven company. It also happens to be like a really awesome tech company. So that's cool too. But I found myself like two and a half years in just being like, yeah, I work at a tech company and like kind of losing the excitement about all of like the mission driven and like impact that we had. And so I kind of lost that in myself and lost that at work. And so I think I needed a little bit of like a restart so that I could like feel good about what I do. Cause like working at a really cool tech company while cool is like not enough for me to get excited about work. And so I really needed to like reconnect with the roots of loop and tie and the roots of like why I do what I do. And Sarah is like the person who kind of created all of that. So I kind of knew I had to do it at the source and I had to talk to Sarah about it. And I had to just like be reminded of what we do, why we do. And she met me with like the most human response that was like, I was kind of looking for like the corporate response to like make me feel better. But what I got was like a lot more than I had bargained for. So Sarah, tell us about what you remember. It was a spur of the moment thing, Shira, you're saying. You sat down, this kind of word vomit came out, things you shouldn't say to your boss. Sarah, what do you remember about this conversation? I'm re-reflecting as Shira is sharing all of this. It's so fun. I feel like very rarely you get to understand where someone's coming from and in, in sort of the behind the scenes. So this conversation is fun on so many levels. But what I remember is connecting with a person who was in need of a sounding board. And one of the things that I really love about the job that I'm choosing is it gives me a space to be really considerate in how I show up and do things differently than what I might see modeled around me. And I think one of the things that we often see modeled in kind of a corporate space is that there's this sort of code of conduct of things you say to get what you want that are, I mean, in my opinion, like low-key manipulation and control. And I really like being put into places where I get to practice not being the thing that I don't want to be. And so I was really grateful for Shira being real with me and giving me an opportunity to be real with her. I have also been in a space where I'm like, wait, why am I doing this again? (laughs) And I have felt the annoyance when someone isn't actually listening to what I'm saying, but they're trying to either convince me that I'm not having the experience I'm experiencing or get me to do what they want and not necessarily what's best for me. And what it does is it, it almost makes me feel the feelings I'm feeling in an even more acute way, because then you have a layer of, I'm not being understood. No one understands me. It's deeply isolating. And that kind of human experience, whether it's within work or outside of work, I think is a big ingredient that is a part of the general malaise and detachment that, you know, is being experienced in many different aspects of our society. And so What I remember is just being like, oh my gosh, thank God someone's like being honest with me, you know, (laughs) (laughs) and creating a space where we can actually connect. And the honest conversation that we got a chance to have was just talking about, okay, let's dig into the kind of feelings of dread and, you know, undercurrent of burnout and undercurrent of disconnection that you're feeling and talk about that in a very unfiltered way with the awareness that it might mean that this isn't the best job for you, right? And I think that one of the things that I've been sensitive to with someone in a position of, you know, quote, boss or manager being is 
internalizing that as they're in a position to convince you to do what is right for the company. And like, that's the biggest North Star. And that is absolutely a North Star, but it doesn't have to be at the expense of the people on the team. And I think that that's one of the biggest misunderstandings in management. And it's something that keeps teams from achieving to their optimal capacity because you have people that don't really want to be there. (laughs) And so I think that being able to have these honest conversations is super important for the long-term goal of creation. And creation, when it's done in its most expressed way, is actually enlivening for everyone on the team. It doesn't require sacrifice. It might come alongside interim challenge of turnover or trying to find the right people. But at the end of the day, if you know we can really commit to making sure that everyone that's working for the team is also getting something that is the best thing for them, it totally changes the game. So that's sort of the context that I like to approach these situations in. And also there's the version of me that's like, oh my gosh, I could feel really scared of losing somebody who I think is an incredibly high performer and absolutely feeling the pull of what do I say to make her feel better? And I think that those things are really there. And for me, it's really taking a conscious beat to be like, okay, that's true. That's like the part of me that is afraid. And also just an underlying belief I have is we, you, know, you can't ever control another person. You absolutely can try, but no matter what you do, they can feel it and you feel it. And it just, there's like, when you do that, you're never actually getting what you want because it doesn't result in connection. You buy short-term time, but in the long-term, it never works out. And so I love that Shira came to me because I got to be like, okay, there's totally a part of you that's afraid of saying the wrong thing and upsetting her and she quits tomorrow. And also, this is an opportunity to actually connect. And what if it's actually better than we could possibly imagine? And so, yeah, heading into, you know, one of the things I remember as we sort of talked about what it looks like to work together is we had this moment of acknowledging all of the challenge and being real about it. And just, I don't know if you remember this, Shira, but you just looked at me and you're like, and also what if everything goes right? Like we like, you know, <laughs> and I was like, yeah, <laughs> totally. Well, it's like, that's that like a human moment that we had. And it's so funny. Like you said, you like to give yourself permission to like, not like act differently than like the models you've had before of what leadership looks like. And you always say that. And so in that moment, I was like, yeah, there's a game to play. Like you can't go to your boss and say like, I'm not happy here unless you want to leave or like you have mm-hmm. a plan. Like I had no plan. I was just like, expressing an emotion. And like anyone would tell you like, that's not how you play the game. But I'm like, Sarah always says like you don't have to play the game so like let's see you know like if that's real and that's exactly what I did which is like I want to want to be here versus like coming to you with like I'm gonna leave if I don't have this or like I'm not happy I this like it was nothing even like that it was just like I need some kind of like reinvigoration and like I've definitely acted out of a place of like things you should not say your boss what like Mm -hmm. an employee should not say to somebody but yeah then we went down like the spiral of dread together I remember you looked at me so plainly and it wasn't like we can give you you know a new title and we can this and we can that because like what do those things do like I feel like those are like things that you come to in the end 
wants the problem to solve. Like they don't solve the problem in and of themselves. Like it was such a human response. And like, you sat there with me in the problem and you were like, yeah, you know, it's been tough for me too. Like all of this and all of that. And we like went through all the things that could possibly go wrong. And the worst that could ever happen is like this company could go under. And once we said that, it was like, just kind of funny. Because yeah. it was like, oh, like that's the worst thing that could possibly go wrong. Like imagine if it all went right. And just like when you're sitting in a circle of doom by yourself, it feels really big. But like when you have the opportunity to like speak that out with the founder and CEO, it actually seems really silly. Because like you start to like put into context like how many great things you're doing and like how you have such a better chance of all of it going right than all of it going wrong. And like, yeah, it just became funny at some point. I love that you reminded me of that because I think that there is this really interesting thing that happens when we're talking about business where it's just sort of like the most taboo thing possible to acknowledge that it's a possibility that you lose your job. It's a possibility that the company goes under. Like all of these things that are sort of different shades of death in a way in the dynamic, they're always possible, right? And we're not saying they're going to happen. We're just saying, hey, I just want to be like another person that is rational and like, you know, I have mm-hmm. acknowledge that this is true. And I think that we do ourselves such a service by bringing those things into the conversation because it becomes so much more honest. And I've sort of been considering how perhaps this is related to as a society, we generally tend to avoid acknowledging that death is real right? We spend so much of our time like not really being aware that, hey, this is actually a finite experience and you can't put off death and, you know, it's a part of life. And actually when you really embrace it, it's enlivening because you're aware of the things you get the opportunity to savor. And I think in this conversation around careers and companies, there is an aspect of that that's present that keeps us disassociated in a way. And I think it's really, really powerful to bring up in any conversation, like we talked about, like, yeah, like we went through a list. What's the worst thing that could happen? You know, you could decide you want to leave. I could decide you want to leave. The company, (laughs) you know, all these things like, is that, okay, so that's all out there and it's true. And what else is out there? You know, if that exists, there's something else too. And there's something about that, that it's just like, oh my gosh, we're actually, we're not bullshitting each other, you know? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it's the opposite of toxic positivity, which is a very (laughs) common thing, I think, especially in startups, because there Mm -hmm. is so much that is hard. You know, founders just being very, very overly positive about, no, 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 focus on this, focus on this. So there is something I think really powerful about you together being able to address the bad and sort of look it in the face and go, you know, what is the worst? And then Shira, obviously you being able to come back and go, but wait, what if everything goes right? Almost feels like it was like you turning your own corner of like, you kind of came in with almost maybe a pessimistic view of where things were at, how that was making you feel, what your level of connection was. And so you almost went down the rabbit hole together. And instead of Sarah saying, no, no, like here, let me pull you out of this hole. It was almost like you sort of turned the corner yourself because she gave you the space to do it. 
Totally. And like came out the other side. I feel like I manipulated myself in a way, which I don't know if Sarah actually, that was you manipulating me. Like, okay, now that I'm thinking about it, good job. But no, totally. It was like this moment of like, once you address all of the real things and don't like skirt around it, like there's nowhere else to go, but to like the positive side. And like, it was just really cool. And like, I remember too, something Sarah, you said to me and all of that was like, and you know, even if you do end up like leaving the company, if this is not the best fit for you, like I want to make sure that like your experience here is a positive one. Like, and that was like a big part of it too, which is just like, how do we make sure that like you have like grown and learned in this role and that it's like something you look back on positively. And that was like so cool because you immediately started dumping all these resources into me from like different classes and courses to Cassie and all of these things. And it wasn't like, well, Shira's not sure if she wants to be here. So we're just going to like let her prove that she belongs. It was the total opposite reaction to it. And it just like, really, I've never felt such like a, a dump of resources in the most positive way. One of which was like going to conferences, which is how I met you, Jill. And so it was just like really awesome. Sarah, you know, gave me the space to be like, well, why don't you like do a little bit of exploring in this context to like figure out if there is like a good place for you where you do feel fulfilled and happy here. And if not, like what fulfillment and happiness looks for you elsewhere. And that was just like the coolest thing that I have, again, like was totally prepared for my boss to be like, well, if you're not happy, like you can leave. But that was not the vibe at all. So it was like very just eye-opening. So I want to address a couple things because I feel like if I'm listening to this conversation, I'm like... Cool, cool, cool. So great for you. I want to work at Loop and Tie. <laughs> Wonder if they have any job openings. Oh, they don't have any job openings right now. Okay, well, I guess this doesn't apply to me because I do think that we have to at least acknowledge that in the scope of traditional workplace norms, this is probably more the outlier than it is the norm of how a conversation like this could go between an employee and a boss. And I also think we have to sort of touch on the fact that, Sarah, you're also the CEO. So it's not a manager who's also answering to someone more senior who's also answering to someone more senior. You are laying the cultural intentions for how this company works. And so obviously, you had created enough psychological safety that Shira said, you know what? I'm going to go out on a limb we're going to have this conversation. But I think there are going to be people listening to this that's like, that would be really nice. I wish. <laughs> what if that were the case? So I guess I would love to start by sort of asking you, Sarah, what advice do you have for managers who aren't the CEO for creating this type of space in a conversation? Because some of them, it may be close to their culture. For others, it could feel really far away. So do you have any advice for sort of holding this space? Yeah, I would say I am aware that at the beginning, it feels scary. And also, if you don't try something new, you're never going to experience something new. And so kind of leaning into the space in the exact same way Shira did, and acknowledging the exact same fears I had of like, this could all result in me losing my job, me losing my team, like, you know, just sort of going through your own disaster list and being like, what are my choices here? Do those risks feel hard enough that I would like to avoid them? And so therefore I'm now choosing to avoid them and I'm active in my choice, or am I willing to try something else? And none of those are good or bad or right or wrong. Timing is everything, right? Like I can absolutely see it being like, you know what? actually, this is not a good time for me to risk losing my job. I have a lot of responsibilities right now. This would be a really big financial strain. I'm not going to do this, which could be the best decision. 
But I think it's really, there is some internal shift that happens when you are making a choice to not do something rather than feeling like everything around you is happening to you. And that little micro shift puts you in a position over time to make a choice at the time that's right for you. I'm really, really fascinated by this because I've absolutely also been in situations where I've been aware of something not serving me in some way, shape or form, and also not actively choosing to change it because it felt like it was just going to be too hard. And there was something that actually felt a little bit better. You know, the situation still sucked. You know, it didn't actually change, but I, I was somehow aware of my role in participating it in it. So I think that that's the beginning. And then from there, change comes typically alongside some aspect of challenge. You know, leaning into a situation in a way that is different with the awareness that both outcomes, the one that you want and the one that you don't want are equally possible. And that's kind of the game is the shift of the framework, right? So this isn't another way to just get what you want. That's a different language. This is a way to start to show up differently with the absolute awareness that you could get, you know, something on your list of the worst outcome. And perhaps that's clearing the way for something that is better than you could have possibly imagined and would have never experienced if you didn't take that risk. You know, something Shira and I talked about was it could be possible that Lupin Tai is actually a limiting factor in her life. And this could be something that, you know, maybe if, if she's not at this job, there's her dream job on the other side. And if we're both locked in this, you know, sort of reactive reality in a way of trying to appease each other, we're limiting each other, right? And at the same time, like there could be someone who's a way better member of our team than Shira. And as much as I like Shira, but what if she's blocking that experience, right? So it's sort of being aware of these things that like might be true and might also be deeply uncomfortable. And if you're not willing to go in that direction, you're never going to see what's possible. And I think that it's really kind of leaning into this space of being really willing to be uncomfortable and being really willing to be in the unknown and being really kind and giving yourself grace of timing. This isn't about going and disrupting everything, you know, all of a sudden because you're feeling all of a sudden like this weaponizing your own empowerment in a way that's actually self-sabotage. Like that's not the game. (laughs) It's about being really thoughtful with what's going on around you, being active in your choices and showing up in that. Yeah. I think you pointed out something really important because it's easy to be on this side of the conversation and go, it turned out really well. <laughs> so obviously, Shira should have made that choice. But Shira, you had to be brave and take a risk in your own right. And clearly, there was enough tension on the other side to be willing to take that risk and sort of step out and do that. And I think what you articulated, Sarah, about tone and about the timing, I think all of that is also really important. And that's the EQ, the emotional intelligence side of things of, is this the right week to have the conversation? Is this like the launch of some new (laughs) thing? And you're like, no, no, hold on, guys. We need to address this. Or is it, you know, the right time and space? And I think that definitely makes a difference. Yeah. And, you know, just something to add on that is, so as an elder millennial, you know, right (laughs) on the cusp, I'm very aware of we have so much more mobility in many ways in our workplaces than we've ever had before. And access to shiny new objects of new jobs, new opportunities, just information about what it might be like somewhere else. And I think this is a really interesting dynamic as it 
relates to a willingness, whether you're, you know, working on a team under a manager or you are the manager of sort of idealizing the shiny new objects. And I find with myself, every time I have avoided conflict in some way, avoided discomfort in some way, it's a false truth, you know, like thinking that it would just be better if I had this person on my team or it would just be better if I worked somewhere else. That underlying experience, like, you know, that saying, wherever you go, there you are. (laughs) (laughs) And I think what Sheer and I got the opportunity to work through was something that if we didn't work through it here, there's absolutely, you know, a world where she could have left Loop and Tie, gone to find a new job, like had a really a good hit of that excitement and productivity that comes when you're doing something new and then had the same two-year malaise. And so we got the opportunity to disrupt a cycle. And I'm sure there'll be some new uncomfortable growth moment that we both get to individually work through together. And that's just part of life, right? And so I think that leaning into that discomfort and not just immediately going for the new easy thing is something that is a really big theme in the millennial workforce. And I'm fascinated by it because I think that there's something really, really rich that lies on the other side of when you work through something that makes you uncomfortable, being in the container of commitment. Like, I'm actually going to try and be here. I'm not just going to move on to the next thing, or I'm not just going to go. And there's a lot of experience of leaving the corporate world to freelance. So then you don't have to worry about it anymore. And I absolutely get that dynamic. And there's a lot of really challenging dynamics in, you know, when you're working in-house at a company, but the underlying energetic template I find is very persistent (laughs) and kind of keeps popping up. It's like a -a whack-a-mole game. And unless you figure out a way to be with it, it's just going to kind of keep chasing you. As someone who has done both sides and gone back and forth, in-house, self-employed, in-house, self-employed, what I always say to people, and I think is really what you're also touching on, is choose your hard. Because there's always going to be hard, whatever the place is that you are, whether that's in-house, on your own, doing some, you know, part-time here, part-time there, whatever it is, there's always going to be hard. It's you get to choose your hard. So what are the things that are most important to you? And I think it goes all the way back to Shira, sort of where you started the conversation and, and the reflection point of why does this feel bad? What is like a, you brought up the mission a couple times and that being so important and getting kind of reengaged. I think you were sort of sorting through what is it that I need? To your point, Sarah, there's growth there, but what is it that I need in order for this to still be the hard that I choose? Because it's not going to instantly get easy. But what totally. do I need? And I think nothing in life is easy. And like work by nature is like, even if you love your job, have the best job in the world, like work is hard sometimes. That's just the nature of work. And so, you know, two years into a job and like we're a startup, like it can be hard sometimes. And so I was really sitting in that moment where it just felt hard. But to Sarah's point, like something new might have been easier for a minute, but there becomes a point where that becomes hard too. So it's like actually learning how to sit in the hardness of like, this is an uncomfy moment. Like, I don't know if we are going to die or take over the world. And like the fact that I have no idea feels so uncomfy to me right now because I like to know exactly where we're going and when we're going to get there, but I just don't know. And like, that was all very hard to sit in, but like, I learned how to sit in that. And I will say, like, I feel very fortunate that like I had the kind of emotional safety and security where I could like word vomit to the founder of my company without any real plan. But I do think that it's really taught me that like, there are ways to do that in a more kind of constructive, productive, dare I even say professional way. Like I just totally dumped on Sarah and was just like, I feel like I'm in a rut. 
And she met me in that rut and we went through it together. And like, like I said, all these resources dumped on me and all these great things. But like, there is an alternate reality where I can like do the work on my own to say, I'm in a rut. Like, I think that I need to reconnect with the mission of this company and my mission as an employee at this company and like figure out what I need and just approach my manager with that. Like, I think that most managers would probably be really happy to hear like, hey, I want to attend this conference for these reasons. Can I go? I do have a boss between me and Sarah, our chief revenue officer is between us. So like, that was something else that Sarah kind of gave me permission to do, which was like all of the managers at this company, the executive team, like they're hired because they're like people who believe in investing in their employees. So if there are things you need, like go to them. And that's something that I think like you can do, even if you don't have a boss where you can like word vomit all of your feelings to them, you can still figure out like, what do you need and just ask for it. Yeah. And can you elaborate? I think that's really important because when you had shared that with me originally, like Sarah wasn't even really my boss at that moment. I was like, wait, hold on. (laughs) So can you explain why it is that you went to Sarah and then sort of what happened after that, that involved your own boss? Well, I didn't always have a boss. So we are a startup in the beginning. Sarah was my boss. I was employee number 12. So I've always had a great and close relationship to Sarah, both in proximity, because she is here in Austin some of the time with me, but also just always worked great with her. So I've always had that relationship. But as the company has grown over the years, they've expanded and built an executive team. So I do now have a direct boss who's, you know, a member of our C-suite. And at the time, like she was just hired. She was very new. I hadn't met her in person yet. So, you know, I had no bad things to say about her, but like, I just didn't know her. And, it, you know, whenever you get a new boss, like there's a story you tell yourself of like, there's a boss because you need to be managed. And there's a boss because someone's stepping in and because Sarah is no longer the person you can go to. And Like you just tell yourself all of these corporate tales. So like, I just immediately like, kind of shut into this, like, okay, like I'm employee number 39 now. And like, I just told myself that story when that was like, not at all the story being told to me. So my boss is very new. And I think that like, just still kind of having that openness to be able to go to Sarah and talk to her and also just being close in proximity in the same city as her was just kind of helpful. And she really eased me into like, the boss is a good thing. Like we're growing, we're learning, (laughs) we're evolving. Like this is all a good thing. And I felt good about it. I think it might be helpful too to just punctuate some of the tactical things that we talked about that could be ways to stay in this job and also explore reconnecting to mission. Because I feel like while there's a lot of unique things between Cher and I and our company, the dynamic of I'm feeling burnt out, I'm feeling in a rut, I don't know what to do about it. And then my employees feeling burnt out, they're in a rut as a manager, and I don't know what to do about it is persistent, you know, across so many different experiences. So I'd love to give just some very specific examples of the way we approach that in case it helps kind of jog people's memories or, you know, ideas, really not necessarily memories of what they could do. One of the things that we talked about, so Shira sits in a sales role. And we talked about, I think about this a lot in any aspect of sales, there is, I think, a really high risk of burnout, because You're being asked in many ways to have this excitement and positivity about what you're doing in a way that maybe you don't feel every day. And I'm very aware of every time there's a mismatch between your external and your internal, it's sort of borrowed time. And I think salespeople in particular get this a lot because they're being asked to, you know, have that positivity all the time about how whatever they're doing is so amazing. And maybe they're just are having an off day and it can just feel like blah. And for Sharon, particularly, you had brought up, Shara, how you don't know if LinkedIn is your space, right? Like yeah. just the idea of posting on LinkedIn just felt too promotional for you. I was 
totally part of the word vomit was like, I don't think I want to be a LinkedIn influencer. And Sarah was like, you don't have to be. Oh my gosh. (laughs) But it was a really good and like, social media, whoo, that's a whole other thing. But like, I get that too, where it's like, is this me? What face do I want to put forth in the world? And if I feel a disconnection with that, it sort of sucks. And I think that that's my job to put forth a face in the world that I actually don't feel. And so with sales in particular, I think it's really important and is also very integral to who we are, you know, as a brand of Loop and Tie to be invitational. Like we, we want to be like, Hey, this is who, who we are. You know, you can come hang out with us or not. That could be buying from us or not. It could be coming to our events or not, but like just not having that dynamic of the same way we don't want to convince or coerce our employees to to stick around. We don't want to do that with our clients. And so it's really important to make sure that we're supporting our salespeople, which are the face of our business in a way that models that integrity with absolutely understanding that salespeople have quotas, right? There are some very tactical things that are like, yeah, but I have to get my, you know, whatever. And so what we talked about was, okay, it sounds like the root of what you're experiencing as discomfort is that disconnect between what you think you have to do out in the world to get your job done and what actually feels enlivening to you, which is really, really rich to explore because maybe you actually delete LinkedIn and perhaps it feels so good for you to try and go to coffee five times a week with new people in your city because you love meeting people in person and you fundamentally are not an online social media person, right? Like maybe that's true for you. And in order to get to that understanding, it requires some real self-reflection on who am I? What do I need to be happy? And then how do I express that out in the world? And it's something I can't help but do. And Shira loves meeting people in person, right? She loves going to conferences. Like (laughs) that just gives her so much energy and LinkedIn doesn't. And so what if we make your job more about going out to conferences and giving you opportunities to speak and giving you opportunities to do these things that might feel a little scary, but in this fun way and do whatever you want on LinkedIn, you know, Like, (laughs) like delete it. I don't care. But like, if this is the thing that helps you accomplish your end job, then that feels a little bit different. And so we brought in a really fantastic communications coach. And this was a theme that was, it was interesting timing because I'd been thinking about it overall with, I really want to have integrity across the company where if we want to feel like we are inviting people into this world, how do we make sure that we're doing that with our own people and doing some real, in order to get to a communication strategy for you personally, that's enlivening, you have to understand what gives you energy and what depletes you. And so as a manager, like a tactical suggestion would be if someone's experiencing burnout, what is the underlying experience that's creating that? And, you know, for us specifically in sales, the underlying experience was needing to explore understanding what gives each person energy, which is very different, and then building a personal strategy on top of that. And if you're an employee, maybe you don't have a manager that's doing that for you, but it doesn't mean you can't do it for yourself really understanding the things that light you up. Because there's some people on our team that have the most fun engaging with people on LinkedIn and can do that all day long, right? And like, good for them. And they they never want to be in a room with a conference. You know, if you give them a public speaking thing, they're like getting clammy. And so it's about making sure as a manager, you're getting really clear on what each person needs and giving them the empowerment and creating the space so that they can practice that. And as an employee, getting really clear on what you enjoy doing and then 
being creative and, you know, asking for resources that you might need to express that in the world. Yeah, to that note, what Sarah was saying, we brought on like a, a personal branding person, which was one of the coolest experiences I've ever had in my entire life. But it's definitely work that like you can do a lot of the things on your own. And the way that we first started engaging with each other is she said, do all of these different personality tests. And there was like a bunch of different personality tests. Then one was like my horoscope. I found out like what my, you know, I'm a Scorpio ascending for the first time, found that out, learned all about that kind of stuff. But she wasn't an expert in any one of these one things. But the idea was like, take this plethora of personality tests and start to see what, if anything, resonates with you and if there's any themes. And at first I was like, okay, this feels a little bit like, what does this have to do with work? And I was a little bit confused. But after going through it, like I kept picking out the one theme from all of these plethora of random tests, which is that like, I really love educating people. Like that's the way that I connect with people. That's the thing that powers me is when I can like share a hot tip. And that seems like really basic and simple, but like, it's not something you always think about in sales. Sales are like trying to sell something that I started to realize like, no, my approach with sales and the world is like, how can I teach people actually? And that was like a very interesting through line that I like never expected to get out of there. And then I realized like, I have all this knowledge to share. And then LinkedIn actually became a place that I felt really like happy about. because like, what a cool platform to go and share knowledge on. But it took like this full kind of circle of Sarah being like, you do not need to post on LinkedIn if that's not the vibe for me to like understand and if there's a way for me to do it in my voice that makes sense for me. And funny enough, there was, but it was just like a whole journey. So that's something that I would say, if you don't have a boss hiring, like a personal branding coach for you, like stay up late at night and scroll and do all the personality tests, anyone you can find and see if there's a theme that might like come back to the way that you work best. There are a lot of options and it never fails. We start out my management training program with self-awareness. That's like the big foundational piece is understanding yourself before we get into sort of team dynamics. And I have everyone take the Enneagram, which a lot of people get excited and come back and they're like, oh my gosh, and I made my partner take it. And now we're all, we're talking about these things. And then one of the first cohorts that I actually came in and facilitated, the guy dead on looked me in the eyes and was like, why is this any better than the horoscope? <laughs> and I had to like stop. And then I looked at him and I went, you know what? You can absolutely be critical of this. Please do. Please be critical of anything anyone is trying to teach you. And even if you think it's a bunch of baloney, let's use it as a way to increase your self-awareness by going, does this feel true or does it not? What are the parts of this that resonate and what are the parts that don't? So for those of you who are like, those tests are a bunch of baloney, it is still a great reflection exercise in being able to sort of look at and think about. And like you said, Shara, pull out a pattern of here's this one thing that I would have never really thought about. And it gives you language, I think, to sort of put some context around things that are important to you. Yeah. I just had such a giggle when you were talking of like thinking about and now our big takeaway is that we need in-house astrologers at every company. <laughs> yes, that is the takeaway. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I don't so. think it would hurt. <laughs> <laughs> but I do. I think it's really important that it's like, you think it's baloney or not. Like, I think it's really helpful to have anything that invites in a level of conversation on what motivates you and doesn't motivate you like none of this is literal, right? It's all just a space that, you know, we're opening up the conversation on, actually, this is why I disagree with everything on here. This is not me. And this is why. And like, that's the thing. It's a conversation starter. It's not about taking a stat sheet and being like, okay, well, because of this time and this day, then this is the karma for my life. 
Like, no, it's, it's about talking, actually having something to point at that you can agree with or disagree with that is just so rich. It makes a world of difference. But yes, astrologers and therapists, yeah. if we can have those at every company, <laughs> I will be one happy camper. So, yes. Uh, well, I could be talking to both of you for the next two hours, which I think we could easily do. But I want to ask you both one last question because ultimately, my hope is always that people get a little bit clearer on identifying what makes something a great workplace for them, which I think we've done a lot of that in this conversation, and also some of the steps on how we can get there. If you're a leader, an individual in a company, how do we build this? So I guess, Shira, I'd love to hear from you as you've sort of gone through this journey of having some workplace experiences that weren't ideal to working at this place now and and working through some of these challenges and having some great sort of takeaways when you think about your ideal workplace, what are some of the requirements that you understand you have personally now? I love that question because I remember a time in my life when I was interviewing for jobs and it was just like, I can do anything you need. I can be anyone you want. And it was like never even a thought that like this company should be something for me too. And now that is definitely like not the way that I approach jobs or a company. I think that like the best kind of employment thing is when there's like a true give and take when you're giving and taking to each other, then it creates like that real reciprocity and that real thing that actually like feeds a loop and feels good versus just like I give them my time or they give me their money. So what I'm really looking for in a place is that it just kind of feed that connection somehow. And I know that's very abstract, not the most tangible thing, but I think just like a place where I can grow. And when I say grow, I don't mean like, what's your average promotion path? What's your path to raise and salary and all this? I mean, like, is this a place where like, you have like a democracy of ideas? Like, is this a place where ideas are welcome? Is this a place that like enjoys self-reflection and wanting to like learn and grow? And those things might be a little bit more like nuanced and hard to find out, but like, it's a vibe and you can pick up on it and you can really understand like when you're talking to someone, is it like we do this because it's what we do every day and we get paid, we don't ask questions and it's on? Or is it like we do this because it's what we believe is the best thing to do and we're always looking for ways to be better? And that's kind of the workplace that I'm looking for because I feel like when you work with people who have a mindset of like wanting to be better, anything is possible. And like that's the most exciting thing for me. I love that so much. Sarah, okay, slightly different question for you. Same family. <laughs> What are you thinking about? You know, you have your own organization as a founder. I believe that you play an integral part. Everybody plays a role, but you specifically play an integral part in really intentionally building specific cultural norms in an organization. So I'm curious, what are some of the norms that you've intentionally built into your workplace? I like to think about this theme as kind of like a dinner party, which is my happy place. I love hosting dinner parties. And I think that when you're inviting people over for dinner, you create the best experience by having a real balance on setting the tone and then enough space to kind of see what happens. And so, you know, when I think about Loop and Tie, I think about how we're inviting people into a space that's going to be way more fun with them than without them we need them to create. And what are we serving, right? What's the attire? What's the topic of the dinner? Is this, you know, something that is collaborative or is it something that you're going to learn from an expert? And just kind of thinking about, for me as a person, the spaces that I like to be in 
and inviting people into that dinner party in a way. So for me, I love to be in spaces where people feel free collaborating and they're not asking for permission for me to do things. I really like to work amongst people that get the joke, that are willing to like have a laugh and not take things too seriously. And I love being around people that are so committed to knowing themselves in ways beyond their past and beyond what's today and just asking a lot of questions. And that's who I aspire to be. So I think for me and Norm, if I had to say one thing, it'd be curiosity, coming in, being willing to be wrong, being willing to question who you have been and who you want to be and not taking things too seriously. And that comes with a lot of other, you know, there's other things, you know, when I'm interviewing people, getting a sense of how willing they are to be different than anything they've been in the past, how willing they are to challenge rules, not necessarily in a combative way, but more in a, oh, I totally see how you got there. And like, actually, you know, have you thought about it this way? And how, you know, they create bridges. And so to me, that all gets summed up in this in this kindness and, and curiosity realm and how that gets expressed is, is just sort of what ends up making a culture where, as you know, Shira said, there is a democracy of ideas. Like good ideas can come from anywhere. And all companies are, are, you know, these little units of creativity, right? <laughs> and so if you're gonna create a space that has the highest chance of achieving whatever the things is that you want to achieve, I think the most efficient way of getting there is having access to a large pool of ideas and an underlying energy that is collaborative, because it's not about being essentially moving into this command and control space. It's really about adopting that mindset that together we can come up with something that is way more powerful than any one person be able to get to on their own. Beautifully articulated. Not one mention of any sort of perk. (laughs) It's all about the end of the day culture. And that makes my heart happy because that is, I know where where culture actually happens. And so thank you both for sharing those perspectives. I did want to say, so one of the biggest considerations that I had personally when I was building this podcast was like, I'm never going to invite a company on to be a sales pitch. I'm just not going to do it. It doesn't feel good to me. And when I met Shira and learned more about Loop and Tie because she had done a presentation, I got all excited (laughs) because I love what you're doing. And then I found out it was female founded and I got even more excited. And so we left that conference and I said to Shira, oh my gosh, can we do an episode on gifting? Because I know that when I was in my last people role, we would spend months thinking about holiday gifts and how do we make this personalized so it's an experience and it's not just a transaction and all these things. So all of this to say, that is where this episode started, was I was going to have you on and we were going to do this whole thing about employee gifting, which is what you do so well at Loop and Tie. But we started having these conversations about culture and I started to sort of mesh that with what Shira had shared with me about her experience. And I thought, you know what, this is the route we have to go down. So Thank you, Sarah, for being willing to change courses. And Shira, thank you for being willing to show up and be vulnerable. And to everybody else who is listening, I cannot stress enough, Loop and Tie is a incredible organization, not just culturally. They are working with minority-owned small businesses. They are doing things in a carbon-neutral way. So they're not paying me. They've 
didn't know I was even going to talk about this, but I just really genuinely hope you all go to the website check them out. They do experiential gifting, meaning that your employees get to pick from a collection of gifts and get the thing that they actually want versus the tchotchke that goes to the landfill. No one needs another t-shirt. I'm sorry I said it. No one needs another (laughs) t-shirt. But (laughs) anyway, that was a diatribe that I thought was important. And if there's anything that you guys want to add to better explain what you do, please feel free. But I I just want to give that shout out. Well, I will just say thank you for that, Jill. And like, this is such a testament. You know, I met you at a conference where I very much went to sell loop and tie, but like Sarah has created this environment where it's like, you know, value the connection more than the sell and like that'll happen later. And I met you and you invited me to dinner and it was like such an amazing connection. And we got to hang out at your lake house and just meet. And I remember you opened up a space where you gathered seven amazing women together and everyone was allowed to go around and make an ask of the group. And I was like, you know, here's my chance to be like, please use loop and tie. That's why I'm here. Like, that's my ask. But I was so touched by like your generosity, your openness, everyone coming together, just the amazing women in the room that I think I like started crying. And I was like, my ask is that we all keep engaging in spaces like this and all of these things. And again, with this podcast, and I feel like it's just a testament to like, when you start to put the human connection first and like the other stuff falls into place. Like I had no idea that you were just going to give Loop and Tie a shout out, but I am so grateful that you did. I definitely think everyone should use Loop and Tie. It is the most amazing ever, but it's just like such a testament to like, when you really lead with the stuff that matters, everything else falls in place. Hallelujah. Wow. I just, wow. My pastor's daughter roots just came out there and I had like a moment, (laughs) which I'm not even, I'm not even like religious anymore. So that just apparently, Shira, I am all stirred up and ready to go. So, oh man. From one pastor's kid to another. There it is. There it is. Oh, thank you so much, ladies. Have a wonderful rest of your day. So fun. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Jill. This is awesome. This show was brought to you by wanttoworkthere.com and the incredible team at Podcasting for Creatives. No individual or company acting alone can change our societal beliefs about work, but together we can create a new normal. If you like this episode, please consider passing it on to one or two people who share your passion for creating a better world of work. And until next time, please know I see you, I believe in you, and keep going. The work you're doing really matters. Shira, tell us what you said about why you're so excited for this. I'm so excited for this because Sarah knows this about me, but Jill is just learning that I am a huge fan of reality TV, mainly the housewives. I think they are like, if I were to ever give a TED talk, it'd be about why they are like of cultural significance more than anything else that's ever happened. But rehashing a conversation that I had with my boss in real time on video with the moderator is like the closest that I will ever get to a Real Housewives reunion. So this is like very cool. And I just feel very blessed that like I get to do this for work and that like not just my boss, but the founder of the company is engaging in this with me. And like, this is just awesome. (laughs) I mean, I'm just going to put into the universe that you end up as a real housewife and this isn't the last reunion call you have, but also... (laughs) I'm like, I don't know if the world needs that, but we'll see. (laughs) You never know. Maybe it's like, it's... Yeah, it's it's Real Housewives 2.0. I don't watch The Housewives, but I do know that Andy Cohen does those. So I guess this is my Andy Cohen moment. This is your Andy Cohen moment. I just feel like if I become a housewife, that I'm going to like try to better all of the housewives and like lead with this idea of like genuine connection. But then we'll have no drama and no fun TV. So like for that reason, I'm going to infiltrate the workspace and leave the housewives to do what they do best. Maybe there's a yet to be created future version where it's like a reality tech company 
situation that you get to really have your moment and be the first of your kind. Maybe. <laughs> well, I don't know. Limited. Your reality TV, your reality experience can be quite okay. <laughs> I'm going to not live it myself and leave that possibility open. I mean, yeah. Shara, I have talked multiple times about the fact that I want to like be the queer eye of workplace culture. And like we go in and we like have just an experience with a company and help expose them to new beliefs and things. Mm-hmm. So now when I cast that show, Shira, <laughs> there it is. There it's it happening. is. I want to produce that show with you. I'll be behind the scenes. I feel like we can like bring in Sarah. She can do a little like Karamo energy. But like, <laughs> yes, you let me know when you're ready to work on that. Like I will. Pedal to the metal. We have very clear follow-up items. I think this sounds like a fantastic idea. And I'm so yes. (laughs) Okay. Someone get Andy and a camera. You call Netflix. Let's go. (laughs) Well, my brother is a director and he messages me at least once a month to be like, when are we doing something? What's happening? We need to do something. So it's it's all all right. Loop me me into the family chat. I want in. (laughs) I will loop you in any day. That was a nice time. (laughs) 